Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Romans, or Ephesians, I'm sorry. Ephesians chapter 6, page 1094, I believe, in your pew Bibles. I'll be reading from the ESV today. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and have, having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all the perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Let's bow in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have your word. We thank you for these very explicit instructions on how we need to conduct ourselves as we live our lives in the Lord Jesus Christ, who saved us, bought us with his precious blood, who now lives and makes intercession for us. We thank you for the opportunity we have to gather here today and for those on live stream as well, we pray for your richest blessing on your word. As Pastor Mark declares unto us your message this morning, we pray these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, Frank. <clears throat> A couple of weeks ago in my letter, I confessed to you that I was aware that what I was working on and what I have been working on over the last uh, couple of weeks and throughout this Easter season in this series was too big, was in many ways, is in many ways beyond me. Uh, some of it I've been working on for years, I mean the particular insights, for example, that God has been waging war against sin and death since before the foundation of the world and that spilled over into the earth and uh, has manifestations of all different kinds, uh, including war, such as going on in Ukraine and other places. Um, but I've also been aware, acutely aware, and this isn't part of the sermon, so this is, this is extra for free. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> hello. <laughs> um, but uh, 
my, my sense is, my awareness is, that it's, it's, it's bigger than I'm able to put it into words, right? Or at least to do so cogently and concisely and clearly um, as I ought. And so I really, really, really um, appreciate and long for the prayers that uh, Frank just read about that Paul asked for his Ephesians brothers and sisters to be praying for him. And so I would yearn for your prayers as well to make the words that I speak his words and the clarity, the Spirit's clarity and the boldness, uh, what is required to get us to pay attention and not fall asleep or stay asleep. Now the goal of this message series, as we've noted, is to go deeper and to develop a better, fuller, more biblical and Christian understanding of what was behind the scenes that led to the Easter events. That is, the trial, condemnation, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. Two Sundays ago, we saw that God has set himself, and we even put it this way, his whole triune self against sin and death and their sources since before the foundation of the world. What this means is that God has been at war against sin and death since before both spilled over into creation, indeed before there ever was a whole creation. What that means is that there has been an ongoing war in the heavenlies. And we'll get to that phrase later on. It's one of my favorite phrases in the whole Bible. In the heavenlies, since before God brought the material creation into existence, including human beings who were created uniquely in the image of the one true and living God to represent God on the earth. So when we wander or wonder, or someone asks us what all the bloodshed in the Old Testament was about. A good starting point from a biblical Christian point of view is that God has been and continues to be at war against all manifestations of sin and death, including all sources and means of sin and death. And the first and greatest sinner in this long line of sin and sinners, indeed the contagion of sin, is the devil. Jesus himself called the devil a liar and the father of lies and the God of this world, who introduced sin into the material creation through the fall of Adam and Eve and the curse of death followed. Though they're not at all equal and the outcome is not at all in doubt, this battle, this war in the heavenlies, rages on between God's expressions of truth, beauty, goodness, and order, and the forces of personal and deliberate evil spilled over into the material world. I just want to make this very clear. God and the devil are not equal. Good and evil are not equal. Truth and falsehood are not equal. 
There's no doubt as to the outcome of this battle that is ongoing and raging in the heavenlies. Last Sunday, we saw that this spillage of evil into the material world results in all human conflicts from personal and relational conflict to genocides and world wars. Wherever we find disorder, disease, violence, abuse, and death, there is the work of the devil, as well as the multiplied natural consequences of centuries of sin upon sin upon sin multiplied by sin. We also noted that the material creation beyond conflicted human relations and our negligence in our divinely appointed stewardship has been horribly affected, subjected to futility and bondage to corruption, as Roman 8 puts it, even unto death, we have in our sin over the centuries tainted the very creation on which we depend. And finally, though the scriptures insist that the battle is the Lord Yahweh's, in 2 Corinthians 10, we also saw last week the battle raging in the heavenlies for untold millennia now includes and engages those of us who've been bought by the blood of Jesus and reborn by his spirit. To be clear, it's still his battle. The battle is still the Lord's. Indeed, he has won it already. He is winning it, and he will ultimately win it. But in the interim, we have a part to play in it. That's what 2 Corinthians 10 is telling us in, from verse 3 from last week. Paul writing as an apostle by the Holy Spirit about his work as well as the churches today. Quoting here from verses 3 and 4 of, and 5 of 2 Corinthians 10. For though we walk, meaning live... For though we live in the flesh, we're embodied, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not the flesh, or not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Verse 5, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised up against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. That last line, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, gets right to our role in the battle, our role in the battle. Just as the triune God created all that exists and indeed in, even sustains all that exists by the power of his word, that's the Bible's testimony, and he brought us into being to image him and represent him on the earth, we speak the word of God by faith. This is our role in the battle. And we believe the word of God by faith. And the Holy Spirit empowers God's word to be effective in this battle. And not merely here on the earth, but also into the heavenlies, even through us. This is where we pick up the story in Ephesians chapter 6. If you're not already there, please turn with me. Ephesians chapter 6. Verses 1 through 
We'll concern ourselves for the rest of our time with verses 10 through 20, which will likely be quite familiar to most of us, if not all of us, as Frank just read it a moment ago. Nevertheless, I'd, I'd like to ask that we open our minds and hearts to this truth as if for the first time. I'm not asking you to forget everything you've ever learned. Keep hold of that. But at the same time, open your mind, open your heart to a deeper understanding, a fuller understanding, a better understanding of God's word as he has moved folks before us to write it down in Holy Scripture. My prayer is that the Holy Spirit will enable us to come for this morning, yes, but also from now on, to come hearing God's word anew, afresh, and as the living and active sword of the Spirit. To that end, please give your attention to the central truth of our message. It's printed there for you in the upper left corner of your bulletin. It's verse 12 of Ephesians 6. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenlies. This is both our reality and our calling. I wonder if the Ukrainian people knew from the beginning of the conflict with Russia that if everyone did their part, they'd prevail over their invaders. How might they respond to the fighting to the battle, we can even call it a war, or to the destruction, to the casualties, and even to the dead. From a subjective point of view, that is, from, from my observational point of view, we might expect they'd respond pretty much like they have persevering in mutual love and loyalty, believing in each other and their common cause, and acting in purposeful unity for their nation against an avowed and evil enemy, unrepentant aggressor as he is, who wishes them harm, even death. One need not be a biblical scholar or a theologian or a military strategist or a lowly pastor to see the similarities and make the connections between what Ukrainians are experiencing and being called to be and do these days and the spiritual warfare that we are called to in these texts last week and this. It too has become their reality and their calling. That is this war that they have been, they have had it imposed upon them. Now, I don't know how much you've been following the events in Ukraine, some of them uplifting and inspiring, most of them devastating and terrible. I can hardly look away. It's probably a bit because of my background, but I can hardly look away 
my heart reaches out to them, and if I can say it that way. The more I watch and listen, the more I realize there's a very close parallel between what is happening in Ukraine today and the Bible's revelation of the spiritual situation in the heavenlies that has bled over onto the earth, including the Ukraine, but not only there. Let's look at our text now. From verse 10 of Ephesians 6, we read, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. That's verse 10. Or as Paul put it by the Holy Spirit in 2 Corinthians 10 from last week, you'll remember from verse 4, for the weapons of our warfare, that is the weapons that work in this warfare God is engaged in and we are engaged in, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. According to our text this morning, the first lesson of what we might call spiritual warfare is that anything we bring into any such battle Everything and anything at all is whatever God provides to us in Christ Jesus. Nothing else will do, and most particularly in and through his death and resurrection. The most devastating blow that God has ever rendered to the devil... And it was the final blow, though its reverberations continue until Jesus finally puts it to bed, so to speak. The most deadly assault on evil, on sin, and on death itself was the substitutionary self-giving of Jesus Christ, God's one and only Son, God in the flesh, simultaneously to God and to death on the cross. And the victory over the devil, the victory over sin, the victory over all manner of disease, disorder, and finally death, and the satisfaction of God's own wrath all came in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. The death blow to death was struck in the death of Jesus and validated in his resurrection. It is in this power that that is not of this world. The creative power of God. The power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The focused power of the Holy Spirit. It is in this power that is not of this world that we are to walk and do warfare. Finally, Paul by the Holy Spirit writes, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Okay, so how does this sort of warfare work? Or or better, maybe a better question is where do we start? Well, both in material military operations and also in spiritual warfare, we start by knowing our enemy. And that's what the next verse says. And once again, I just want to note, you are not my enemy, nor is any other human being, and I am not your enemy, at least not in this war. Verse 11, 
Put on the whole armor of God. Now, let me, let me just stop there. There is a sense in which this is a metaphor, right? The armor of God that we'll read a little bit more about in just a second. But sometimes it's been so I don't know what's what's the verb for making making something into a metaphor. Making something into a metaphor? It's been so made into a metaphor. There it is. Thank you, Ron. <laughs> that we've missed the point. So let's not miss the point. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. Somebody say stand. You may hear that word again. And it may be an indicator of what the point of the text is. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of, who's the enemy? The devil. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Like it or not, we, like the Ukrainians, have an avowed, evil, and unrepentant enemy. And our enemy is not Vladimir Putin. He may sound and act like the devil, but he is not the devil. But our enemy, against which we are to stand against his schemes, is in fact the devil. Now, I don't know how many times you saw while he was living Christopher Hitchens debate that there is no God or there is a God, faith is delusional or faith is the only real truth. But he was, he was for a very long time and for um, most of his life a vehement, or as my dear daughter Abby says, a vehement atheist, anti religion, anti-faith, anti-God, anti-anything but human and human, humanism. And I very rarely, I've, see, I've seen him hours and hours, I've seen him, not recently, but hours and hours I've seen him debating one person or another, including some of the heroes in the faith that I personally have, Alistair McGrath, for example. I very rarely saw him speechless. But, and he's famous for being very quick-witted, or, or was. He died of esophageal cancer several years ago. But there was one occasion when he was literally speechless, and it was when he was debating William Lane Craig, and there may have been other times, but I doubt there were many. And it was on this issue of a personal devil. And William Lane Craig, in, in, his, in his debate, made reference to the biblical teaching about the devil, the words of Jesus about the devil. He is a liar and the father of lies. He is the God of this world. What we read about earlier, that Jesus came to de destroy the works of the devil, the one who has power over death. And William Lane Craig made some reference to the devil, and Hitchens sat back in his chair, and he had this look of puzzlement on his face, and he said, you don't believe in a personal devil, do you? 
And William Laden Craig says, well, yes, I do, because that's what the Bible teaches. And he was just, he was speechless. Because here he was acknowledging the intelligence and the ability of this person, William Lane Craig, to, to put, put forward cogent arguments about the truth of the Christian faith and about the truth of the Bible, but he just could not conscience the, the possibility that somebody this intelligent, this educated, this well-versed in philosophy and the Bible could believe actually in a personal devil. And William Lane Craig's last thing that he said on this topic was, I believe in the, the personal devil because Jesus did. Our enemy is, in fact, the devil. And before we move on to the armor, I just want to note this text primarily prepares us for the defense. Please note that. There's a lot of nonsense out there. You, usually you, you find this nonsense when you turn on your television and find a religious program. But there's a lot of nonsense about our role in offensive operations against the devil. We go after him. We chase after him. We, we engage him. We look for a fight with him. There's nothing like that in the Bible. So I want us to notice here that the armor... And this text primarily pre prepares us for the defense. Being fitted with full and proper armor are primarily defensive measures. So we are to put on the full armor of God and we are to stand against the schemes of the devil. But it is God who goes and it is God who has gone onto the offensive in Christ as only he can. Now near the end of this text and sermon will make one exception but let's wait for that. That brings us to verse 12, our central truth, our central text. Why do we need this armor, this full armor of God? Why do we need to be able to stand against the schemes and the devil? Here's why. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil... In the heavenlies. This is our focal text for this morning as well as our central truth. And I don't know why I've got it enumerated in the bulletin as Ephesians 6.14. It's not. It's Ephesians 6.12 um, as I noted before. If, the, if lesson one of our text was more or less that to engage in this sort of warfare, warfare in the heavenlies, we better bring God's power, the very power of the Holy Spirit in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, because all we have is flesh and blood, then lesson two must be we better know our enemy because he is, they are fearsome. And he lists our enemies in several ways here, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, so we're talking about something that we are wrestling against. It's not flesh and blood. We know they're enemies because it says, but against, not with, not for, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenlies. And so when I say something, as I did last week, that we ain't got nothing for the devil, what I mean is, in our flesh and blood, we got nothing for the devil. Yes, in Christ, 
we have something for the devil and the spiritual forces of darkness and the authorities and the rulers and the heavenlies. But it's Christ who is going before us in the battle. It's not our battle, it's his. And he enlists us in this battle that he has already won. I want to pause here, though, and focus our time and attention on this phrase, in the heavenlies. I know the Bible you are using likely says something like, in the heavenly places, as does my ESV, or in the heavenly realms, as I think the NIV does. But adding places or realms to the text here, and it is an addition, Places and, and realms or some other location is not in the Greek text. That's something the translators have provided to be helpful, to help us understand. But by adding places or realms to the text does, I believe, a disservice to you, to every other reader, and to the whole church. No doubt by adding places or realms, translators are trying to get us to make the text, or trying to help us rather, make the text more concrete and therefore more understandable. But there are times and places where not helping is better. Not clarifying is better. Not adding to the text is better. In fact, I believe we can trust the Holy Spirit to say precisely what he intended to say in precisely the way he said it. And while I understand that translation work is complicated, and especially with a couple of millennia between us and the writers of Scripture, but still. So what am I ranting about now? And why? Well, at the end of verse 12, and in other places in the book of Ephesians, in fact, four other places in the book of Ephesians, the Holy Spirit gives us remarkable insight into the work of the Spirit, and especially his work through us, in the church, and the place this work happens in every case is described in this precise phrase in all five of these places, in the heavenlies, no places, no realms. Stick with me. In Ephesians chapter 1, if you have your Bible in front of you and you can quickly move there, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. In verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. Okay, got hold of that? Hold on to it. Verse 20 of Ephesians chapter 1. Speaking here of God the Father, you can see the antecedent all the way up in verse 17. It's God the Father. The Holy Spirit is also mentioned in between. Uh, but I believe this is safely God the Father. If, if, if there's some ambivalence, then just God in general. Uh, we know that the Godhead works in concert with each other. Um, so it shouldn't uh, surprise us that they're all working, you know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are working together in Christ. Um, but I believe uh, we're safely in harbor if we assume this is God the Father worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and in, in the text of Scripture, we see both that God the Father raised Jesus from the dead and the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. So, yes, and. 
God worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand, where? In the heavenlies. Now, this is where it gets complicated. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. Okay, let's, if we think about this concretely, where is above? It's there. But at this very moment, where is it in China? It's there. This is the problem with making the, making the inconcrete concrete. We start thinking about heaven as a place, or in the heavenlies as a place. So is it there, or is it there, or is it over there? Or is it way, way, way out, maybe outside of our galaxy, maybe outside of the universe? That's not the Bible's understanding, and certainly not the, the, the understanding of Ephesians. In Ephesians, the heavenlies, and this gives us a glimpse into the whole Bible, the heavenlies are all around us. It's where angels tread. It, it's, it's where God exists, and it gives some insight into how God can be omniscient, knowing everything, omnipresent, everywhere present simultaneously, omnipotent, all-powerful, all at the same time. Because the heavenlies are not out there somewhere far, far away the heavenlies are all around us, which then makes sense if we are to be engaged in the battle that's going on in the heavenlies. It's not over there. It's all around us. And so when we speak the gospel, and we'll get to that in a minute, when we speak the word of God, then it makes sense that it's not having to go all the way across the galaxy and on the other side of the universe. The heavenlies are here. We just can't access them because we are holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, material. We must be embodied to live. We can't get there yet. God the Father worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenlies, far above, so this is not a location this is a hierarchical understanding of order far above all rule and authority and power and dominion above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come. Ephesians 2 verse 6. Ephesians 2 verse 6. I'll start at verse 5. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. God is the antecedent that is before verse 5, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Now this will blow your mind, and it does a number of people. If we understand heaven to be out there somewhere, what on earth does this mean if heaven is out there somewhere? But if heaven is not out there somewhere, it makes perfect sense Verse 6, and raised us up with him, that is, with Christ, and seated us with him, where? In the heavenlies. In Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show, this is a very strange thing to say, he might show who? Well, us, the world, everyone who's looking, even the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. 
even the spiritual forces of darkness and evil, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. They're right here. Ephesians verse, chapter 3, verse 10. I'm going to read more than I have here in my manuscript because this is one, truly one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Because uh, Ephesians is my favorite book in the Bible because it gives us, the local church, our place in the larger church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is writing here to the church at Ephesus and also to us by faith, our place in the larger church of the Lord Jesus Christ. In one, in one place and time, in Winnipeg, Manitoba, 2022, April the 3rd, I think I got all that right. Every time I go to my neurologist, he makes me say the months backwards just to make sure I'm cognitively still here. Um, I shared that with you before. Verse 7, of this gospel I was made, this is Paul speaking, a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So, so note that, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, verse 10, so that through the church, note that, so that through the church, that's us, that's me up here. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to whom? The same characters, the rulers and the authorities where? In the heavenly places. Verse 11, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. And then, of course, we've just seen in chapter 6 the fifth and final reference to in the heavenlies in the book of Ephesians. Here's my belabored point and one of the most profound insights into the truth of the Bible and the living, breathing, revealing word, word of God as illumined by the Holy Spirit that I ever discovered. And I'm not saying it's just me. I'm just saying that it still is profound, deeply profound to me. I'll never get over it, I hope. Heaven is not a place out there somewhere or a realm to be discovered or ascended to. Heaven, or better yet, the heavenlies, are all around us. This is why Paul, by the Holy Spirit, insists that the work we do in Jesus' name and in the Spirit, that is, by the power of his resurrection, transcends this place, this time, and this earth on into the heavenlies, which are all around us. But to the contrary, when we fix the heavenlies to a place or a realm, somewhere out there, we diminish the truth of God's word by making it at the same time more accessible, yes, intellectually, and yet more beyond us. How could I ever get it there? Or more understandable and yet less believable. But my friends, the heavenlies are all around us. 
The heavenlies are where the angels tread. Yes, above time and space, but also right here and right there and there too, wherever you're looking, if we can get hold of this, it will revolutionize our view of ourselves and our work. Now, one caution before we go. When I first started working through this truth, I, I mentioned it in, in, in much less detail than I did today. Because I've been working on it for 10 years. Something, maybe more than that. Sitting right about where Dell is, um, you'll remember that Walter Davies used to sit right over there. And uh, one morning when I addressed this issue, he, he pulled me aside, serious as a heart attack, and, and he was not a frivolous person. Um, he was with the Canadian Sunday School Board for decades. He said, Pastor, did you just tell me I'm not going to heaven? I said, no, how, how, where could you ever get that idea? He said, well, you said heaven is not a place. I said, Walter, heaven is where God is. Heaven is where Jesus went after he ascended. Heaven is the place that we will go. He said, yes, but you said it's not a place. And I said, well, it, it's beyond being a place. It's all around us. I don't know that he, he got it. He still came back, so that was good. Um, and we, we did his funeral, and it was a very, very meaningful time. But I don't want you to miss this. Wherever the Bible speaks of heaven, it speaks of the presence of God. That's the point. The point is not where it is. The point is who is there. And God is there. And all the saints will be there. And we'll see here in, in, a, in a little bit, when I read Revelation 20, as we close the service, there will come a time when the devil is not there. And there will be no more sin, no more shame, no more fear, no more pain, no more tears, no more mourning. We will be in the joyful presence of the Lord Jesus forever. And that's the point being made whenever we read in the Bible something about heaven. But until that time, there's a battle that is raging all around us in the heavenlies. And we are to be engaged in it, not afraid of it, because we are submitted to our Lord Jesus Christ and he has already won the battle. Let's pray together. God, our Father, we thank you for this word and for your continuing grace to us to speak to us by your spirit. I pray, Lord, that we will have open minds and open hearts and that you will continue to open them, not to me, not to my bright ideas, but to you as you teach us what it means to be growing, maturing disciples of Jesus Christ. That you continue to build us up into the knowledge of Christ. That you grow us in the grace of God. That you give us more faith and more hope 
to transcend any circumstance that we have here on the earth. And that we'll look forward to that time when we will, we will be with you forever in the very presence of God and the one who gave himself up for us, Jesus Christ, where our faith will become sight and our hope will become substance. We look forward to that day, Lord Jesus. And until that time, help us to be both faithful and productive. In Jesus' name. Amen.